श्री श्री कृष्ण बलराम जी की जाय गोरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय और भक्तवृंद की जाय गोल प्रेम गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन वेलकम गुड टू सी यू एनी क्वेश्चंस टुनाइट विश ब्रदर ओह ही हैड अ वेरी बैड um sickness he's like he's sick. high temperature oh he's not feeling well oh hmm you taking care of him me <laughs> is he here or did he go back oh what is uh, he here yeah okay okay reg the energies of uh, uh, Vishnu, Shri, Bhu, and Buddha. Uh, could you say more, some, some more about them and how they are represented in Vrindavan? Yeah, well, they're very prominent in the Sri Sampradaya. Uh, so Sri means Lakshmi, Bhu is um, Bhu, <laughs> and uh, pertains to also the um related to the earth also and uh nila or sometimes lila in the dam of navadweep which is gupta vrindavan then shri is represented as lakshmi priya first wife of chaitanya mahaprabhu and bu shakti is represented as uh Vishnu Priya Devi second wife of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who lived to see uh, and through his his sannyas and we talked about her a few days back on her disappearance or i think it was her disappearance day so she and bu and nila nila means sometimes also referred to as lila is, is said to be present in navadweep in the form of the dam itself vrindavan dam so um now with regard to brindavan that's another thing hmm. obviously lakshmi sahasra satasam brahmasevimana so there you have many many thousands of lakshmis and not only are there many not only is the quantity different hmm. although we say anyway yeah but the quality is different therefore lakshmi sahasrasata sambramana sevamano so they they're endowed with certain uh disposition of love sometimes also referred to by way of uh, explaining krishna's quality of prema madhurya so we will find this kind of prema madhurya in vaikuntha mm. neither lila madhurya venu madhurya rupa madhurya qualities of krishna that even narayan does not manifest but the prema madhurya refers to the devotees and especially the lakshmis of braj if you will the, the gopikas so there's so many but the principal gopis there are obviously radha and um and satyabama and but i've never heard it explained that satya oh, excuse me radha and chandrabali that that uh, that uh, chandrabali represents bhushakti although uh vishnu priya is said to be the same way as we discussed represent satyabama also and she is bhushakti and chandrabali excuse me well that wouldn't be right <laughs> chandrabali is uh 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 chandrabali is well as chandrabali but uh um complicate i guess in dwaraka then she's she's present as as her meaning and radha's present as satyabama so i don't think we can identify her as satyabama either but i've never heard these the the, the uh the, these these three shaktis of narayan particularly manifest in vaikuntha um uh to be represented in in vrindavan in a particular way but in navadweep of course you have this uh, vidhi bhakti Mm. side mm. 
and the islands are representative of the different uh, forms of bhakti, shravan, kirtan, and so forth. Vishnu Priya is is Navavita Bhakti herself personified. Um, so, in the relationship between Mahaprabhu, there's the two sides of Mahaprabhu. In Vrindavan, we don't have the two sides of Krishna. The two sides of Mahaprabhu are the, 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 the Yuga Dharma side of him and his Rasaraj side. Hmm? So, um, Vaidhi Bhakti is, I don't want to do itself, of course, is the is the approach to Vaikuntha, to reverential love. And there you have Narayan and the goddesses and so forth. And you have the Gaur Narayan concept of other of other Kali Yugas and whatnot. So these are partially tied in then to Navadvipa and the special appearance of, of Krishna in the Bhav of Radha appearing as uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu of this particular Kali Yuga with the ex- dispensation that extends beyond the ordinary um, Yuga Dharma. It's atypical of the Yuga Dharma because Prem is bestowed. And Prem here, of course, using it in a Godia, very Godia context, refers to the Braj Prem, although there is a Prem of Vaikuntha. Mm. It's more often referred to uh, attainment, that is, of Vaikuntha, to Mukti. And all the other Sampradayas use that that word to, to refer to it. So, um, also, well, so at any rate, yeah, there's there there's the kind of the, the, the Gornarayan, the side of Mahaprabhu, hmm? and therefore uh, Bhakti Thakur, who oh, it's windy tonight, established uh, a deity of Vishnu Priya Devi and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at Mayapur. Mm, I don't think he had, maybe Lakshmi Priya there as well. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah. Prominent in like Sri Sampradaya, maybe Madhva Sampradaya, these are Vaidimarg Sampradayas. And prominent to some extent in Navadweep in relation to the Vaidimarg kind of side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. What else? Yes. In uh, your Chitastakam book, um, I'm reading in there. The Venerable Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains in Madhurya Pandamini that the destruction of Anartha arises, arising from good and bad karma is complete purna in the stage of Nishta. So it's not too clear to me exactly what that means. And then it goes on speaking that purna doesn't mean absolutely and so forth and so on. Yeah. So what does it really mean on the stage of Nishta that, that uh, Kleshagni? Suffering, helping the karmas manifesting, resolving the bad karma, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Of course, Vishnu Chakravarti uh, has taken two verses from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu and written his whole book, Madhuri Kadamani, on the basis of those verses. A very helpful book for the sadhakas, outlining the different stages. Although he himself, in his Bhagavatam commentary, has also given 14 different stages. But um, so it's not, they're, they're, they're like handles, so to speak, to help us get a, get a, get a, some standing point, but there's some gray in between and whatnot. But with regard to your question, in the stage of Nishta, he speaks about the removal of, of different types of Nartha. Nartha is coming from offense, and Nartha is coming from good and bad karma. Um, what else? Um, I think uh, from four... From four different, uh, from good and bad karma, from offense, from Bhakti Devi herself, hmm? um, as weeds can arise when watering a plant, hmm? as well, and therefore the need to be a vigilant gardener, um, and so forth. But at any rate, with regard to, and then he gives how at the different stages, beginning at Nishta, Anarthanabritti, these Anarthas resulting from different. Um, having different sources, are eradicated to one extent or another. Hmm? Purna, I think, is the beginning, and then, forget the terms used, Atyantika, I mean, I think it's the last one, ultimately complete, irrevocable, and so forth. So this is in the stage, even in the stage of bhava, there may be lingering effects of offenses from Vaishnava Parad. Hmm? So, at any rate, Purna means good and bad karma, of course, yes, that's, 
that's the source of our our suffering and so-called happiness. Hmm? The origination of that is avidya, ignorance. Hmm? So in the stage of nishta, the implication is that ignorance is eradicated to a certain extent. Hmm? That 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 any lingering effects of an arthas from good or bad karma that are st- still present, which might be compared to smoke after you put out the fire. If material existence is compared to a, a forest fire, then if you can put it out, still there'll be smoke for a few days, right? Mm-hmm. So there'll be, in in a stage of nishta, Bhagavatam verse is there to help us. Nasta prayeshu abadreshu nityam bhagavatasevaya. Nasta prayeshu abadreshu. Abadra means inauspiciousness. It means the here the anarthas arising from good and bad karma. Mm-hmm. They're almost eradicated. It means they're eradicated enough that the fire has been put out. So that's encouraging. And even if you're coughing and a little bit of smoke, mm-hmm. there's a s- strong sense that it's over. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Smoke will go out. So, Purna means with regard to the extent that they're eradicated, that that the, whatever does remain doesn't get in the way of the of one's practice. Prior to that, they're getting in the way of the practice, and so we become distracted. We can't our practice can't be steady, and so forth. Hmm? Um, and then, with the consistent and steady practice, then they're uprooted altogether, along with the other offenses arising from aparad. And from uh, from from bhakti as, as they may. Now, your question also segued into something about suffering and um, and the way in which kleshagni is a characteristic of bhakti. There are six characteristics of bhakti, and they are said to manifest in the, in the three stages of bhakti: sadhana bhakti. You shouldn't chant japa. You should listen to the talk. So put your beads down. Otherwise, Krishna will not be pleased with you. Try to listen. It's very, very useful. What is your name? My name? Arunid. Das. Nice to meet you. Bonjour. <laughs> The uh, two characteristics of bhakti manifesting in sadhana bhakti, kleshagni shubhada, two plus two more, hmm? moksha, laganukrit, and uh, and what was the other one? Sudulava, uh, manifesting in bhava bhakti, and then you have prema bhakti, where all six are manifest. Those four plus the power of prema bhakti to conquer Krishna and the happiness of uh, Prem that makes the happiness of Brahman look insignificant in comparison. Mm. So, Sadhana Bhakti, of course, is all the way up to Asakti. So, Kleshagni, the removal of suffering, mm will be in play throughout the entirety of sadhana bhakti. Hmm. When you enter into bhava bhakti, then it's complete. Kleshagni hmm. and Shubhada. Shubhada is said to manifest, this is, this is, Shubhada means auspiciousness. Kleshagni means the removal of uh, the inauspiciousness, which is avidya, ignorance, appearing as manifest and unmanifest karma. Hmm? And um, so the removal of the negative and some positive, uh, the bringing of auspiciousness in which the devotee becomes likable. Hmm? 
Deva Goswami explains different ways in which the devotee becomes his company or her company becomes desirable, likable, and um, and becomes a joy to to the world and others and so forth. So this starts happening in the stage of ruchi, mm-hmm. and the removal of the suffering re- that that originates in avidya. It really starts to manifest in anartanavritti and in, in nishta. Hmm? As I'm saying, your bhajan, your practice, life will not be interrupted, although there may be some remnants. Like if you ha- again, another example: if you have a bo- box with camphor in it, you take the camphor out. Camphor has a very powerful aroma. So if you have, or let's say incense, let's say you have a let's say you have a tube with incense in it. So take all the incense out, close it up, and open it. You'll still smell the incense in there. So there's a remaining residue again, like smoke after the fire's out, but it doesn't affect one's budget. So that it can be fixed, and when it's fixed, then it gradually starts to bear t- the fruit of taste. Again, to use my example of the other night, when the medicine starts to become the food. If we have to, if we're to take our medicine, we have to remind ourselves to take our medicine. But we don't have to remind ourselves to take our lunch, take our dinner. And we tend to think, when is lunch? When is dinner? So, this is very positive, if you will, accomplishment. Shreya kairaba chandrikavataranam, as Mahaprabhu described it in Shikshastakam, coming from the other side, within the stage of sadhana bhakti. It's kind of you've gone to the top of the mountain in your pursuit to the valley on the other side, and. You're at the top now, so the struggle to get to the top on the one side was was considerable. When you're at the top, there's a take a breath of fresh air, if you will, and you can look into the valley, and you can you can you can see the destination. Previously, that it was a theory, and there was a whole mountain between between you and the valley of Prema. Hmm? So, in order to have the courage to climb that mountain, you need some help. You need somebody with to throw you a rope and say, you can climb and you can fall, but I've got a rope on you, something like that. So this is with the help of the sadhu, saintly person. Got the rope, you can climb. You have to climb. I'm not going to pull you up entirely. But if you fall, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be caught and you can... So there'll be some falling, slipping, but the rope is there. We want to keep connected by that rope. Hmm? And... And, and and then when we come to the top, if you will, then we can see the ideal. No longer is it a theory. Mm-hmm. Now we think ourselves to be, um, think of ourselves as a real person and Krishna as kind of a theoretical person. <laughs> we are a theoretical person, materially speaking, and Krishna is a real person. Our personality, embodiment, so this is something we'll hear today and, and gone tomorrow. <laughs> That's for sure. Hmm. Um, so, so at any rate, um, th- this nishta is kind of the, more the, the tangible, visible, if you will, stage in which it's apparent, hmm, apparent by one's ability to practice consistently without any without interruption. It's apparent that there's been some removal of impediments, hmm, and and. A good part of these impediments are the impediments arising from karma. Jiva Goswami explains in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu in his commentary that we have karma that is, the Padma Purana said there's karma in different stages, so we break it into two. There's manifest karma and unmanifest karma. So that means our particular body and our psychology is manifest karma, and there are things that will happen to us in this life that are, are karma bearing fruit. It's called parabdha. The upper of it is the unmanifest karma. Hmm? Unmanifest karma can be eradicated through bhakti such that it never has to manifest. So we maybe do certain karma, we can cut it off at the pass, so to speak. It's just like if you're proactive in, um, let's say, in a naturopathic way with regard to uh, disease or something like that. So you, you take herbs and 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 you, what, what do you call that? Um, besides proactive, to be um, the term for it, 
medical term. Uh, but at any rate, you you know you 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 build up your nutrition, you uh, you know you eat good food and so forth, um, so that you don't become susceptible to diseases that you might otherwise, and then have to take medicine to to get rid of it and so forth. So, so something like that, um, we can by engaging in bhakti, we can uh, ward off or cut off at the pass. Karma that was due it won't come. You're supposed to get the flu, but it didn't come hmm? because you were proactive. Hmm? So, at the same time, of course, manifest karma is like you've already got a cold. Now, what do you do? Well, pretty much with a cold, you just have to wait it out. Hmm? They say, despite the advances of modern medicine, it takes six days or a week. <laughs> Wait out of cold. <laughs> but the wonderful thing about bhakti, the extraordinary character of bhakti, is that it has the power to even eradicate manifest karma that's already manifesting. Mm-hmm. And the way that works with bhakti is twofold in the sense that it, it first, of all the stages of karma that we're under the influence of, mm-hmm and thereby suffering. Even our joys are are the beginning of, of suffering. Of all the karma that's manifest and all that is set yet to manifest, bhakti immediately arrests a certain measure of, of the parabdha karma, the manifest karma, and does away with it, which enables one to take up bhakti. Therefore, there are statements in in in, in Bhagavatam to this effect: "Yan nama deha shavananu kirtanad, yad pravanat yad smaranad, sabanaya kulpate." He becomes qualified. Who chants the name immediately becomes qualified to to uh, engage in the Vedic uh, yagyas, for example, which would be requires a certain karma, the karma of a Brahman. Hmm? So even if someone comes from a whole Vatasvapacho Tolgariya, comes from a Svapacho, a, a, a very um, a, a birth that's in lower modes of nature, hmm? Hmm? irreligious, even one has an irreligious disposition by coming in touch with bhakti and embracing bhakti, immediately such a, an unqualified person becomes qualified. Hmm. So, of course, to play this out a little bit, the devotee is not interested in these Vedic yogis, and therefore he doesn't take them up. Hmm. But he does engage in archan, which is a form of 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 of, of, of bhakti. Hmm. Um, so, again, how the parabdha karma is arrested a certain measure of it is arrested, kind of the worst part of it, that that enables you to um, really further take up bhakti, if you will, and qualifies you in other ways. Hmm? That, in, that 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 it in a sense situates you above the varnashram with Vaishnav diksha and so forth. However, there's still obviously some prabhu karma is still. Existing because your very body is parabdha karma; it hasn't gone away. Who your mother and father is—that's part of your manifest karma. Didn't change, right? You didn't start chanting, and all of a sudden your your mother and father changed. <laughs> they're, they're different people now, so that's part of your karma. So how is it that the parabdha karma is fully eradicated by bhakti, and how if if it's eradicated first? So first means a certain measure of it is removed. And then the bhakti goes to work on the aparabdha karma, the unmanifest karma. So you have this bank of karma waiting to arrest you for all the seeds you've sown. Hmm? Then you're going to have to reap the fruits that will perpetuate you into many, many lives. Hmm? There's no sorting it out. About the karma, there's the, there's the idea that in Hinduism, that that Yamaraj, who deals with administrating the karma, 
in, in determining the next body and so forth, has a, has engaged. Uh, is it uh, Chitra Ketu, Chitra Chitra Gupta, Chitra Gupta as his um, scribe? Hmm? So to modernize it, Chitra Gupta's got a very powerful uh, computer hmm, with a big processor, and he is constantly processing all the karma. Every breath everyone takes, every thought, every every move you make, every breath you take, he's watching you and recording and giving the feedback to Yamaraj. Got print out on him. Okay, this is every breath and how. What is that? What will be the result of that? How will that play out? And so forth. This is this is just to give you an idea that the karma is extremely nuanced and a complicated affair. It's not a real simple affair. I hit someone over the head, therefore I will be hit over the head. It, it, it is not necessarily going to play out like that. So, at any rate, the, the main point here is that there's this stockpile of prabda, of aparabda, unmanifest karma that will perpetuate your material existence for a long time. Hmm? But somehow you came in touch with bhakti. Karma is the force in the world under which people are moving, the maya shakti. But there's another force in the world and it has no beginning either. It's called bhakti. Hmm? Anadi karma, anadi bhakti. In other words, the world is anadi, has no beginning. Therefore, the influence of karma under which it, under which it, um, it proceeds has no beginning. And bhakti has no beginning. Hmm? There's always bhakti, always sadhakas, sadhus in the world. Hmm? And they're always distributing bhakti. Bhakti Devi distributes herself through the sadhus, through saintly people. So when we have the good fortune of coming in touch with that, and that's how it's described, Brahmanda Brahmitekon Bhagyabanji. Bhagya means like lucky, good fortune. It means you have come in touch with an influence that's outside of the cause and effect movement of karma. Karma is cause and effect. So you did something, now there's a result. And that, and they perpetuate one another. Hmm? So the sadhus are described in the Gita, they're moving under a different energy, not under the energy of karma. Hmm? They've taken shelter means of Krishna's Swarup Shakti that bhakti is constituted of. And so coming in touch with them is lucky. In other words, it's beyond cause and effect. You say, what's the cause? Oh, that's just good luck. Just a way of saying it. Hmm? That's beyond the influences that you've come in touch with now is beyond, above, transcendent to the influence under which you have been moving. So you have now the ingress of a different altogether influence in your life, knowingly or unknowingly, even unknowingly. If you touch fire, you can't say, I, I didn't know it. <laughs> Therefore, I shouldn't have got burned. You will. So bhakti is like that, has such power. So, therefore, it's the beginning of the end of our material sojourn. Hmm? Even a little, the small begin. There is no small beginning to bhakti, hmm? because however slight our the influence of bhakti is in our life, that is the beginning to the end of the entirety of our material existence, and. As we progress in bhakti, of course, then the trajectory of our material existence, which who knows how how far that was, hmm? in terms of the unmanifest karma that's that's just waiting to get its satisfaction. We've taken from the environment, and the environment wants a payback, something like that. So the the, the touch of bhakti interrupts that. The parabdas is is satisfied is is negotiated removed just like i've given an example before let's say you live in a modern economy and you have a credit card you have a credit card so you the credit card economy is such that we're encouraged to buy things even though we don't have the money for them but we have enough to pay it off pay for it gradually so you want something, 
costs a hundred dollars, you don't have a hundred dollars, but you put it on a credit card and you can have it for ten dollars a month for two two hundred months or whatever <laughs> whatever it is. So the problem of course is is that is that this fosters a kind of greed in us or a kind of um, um, of well it, it fosters debt hmm? and um, and it, it can result in you have maxed out all the the credit on your cards and you only have debit on your cards and your income is only sufficient to meet the cards minimum requirement every month and you have nothing more. You don't have enough to pay your rent, to buy your food every month. Now you just so you, you have to go, what do you do? You, and in the United States there are laws for bankruptcy. So you can go and declare bankruptcy and then you put yourself in the hands of the court. And the court says, okay, so uh, we're going to give you a life here. Hmm? So we're going to bring in the creditors and we're going to negotiate with them. We're going to say, look, this guy's broke, he's bankrupt, you lent him money on a, on a hunch, you know, that, that he would be able to pay you back. But as it turned out, life isn't always like that. And so he's not able to meet the monthly payments. Will you be satisfied with less? And can we work out a plan here? Hmm? And so the credit card companies have insurance and everything. They say, all right, we, we lost on this one. Better get something rather than nothing here. And so the debt is minimized. Hmm? Something like that. Or eradicated in some cases. So our karmic situation is something like that. We have maxed out. That's a fact. Karmically speaking. And we are living practically only to pay back the karma that we owe. We're getting the fruits and we're trying to pay. We don't have a, a spiritual life. A free life. We're under the influence of karma. So... So you come under the shelter of the guru, who's like the court, and the guru represents Krishna, and he goes to all the creditors, the karmic creditors, all the devas and so forth, and says, hey, look, uh, I know this guy has used something, but don't you owe Krishna something? <laughs> something like that. So, okay. So now I'm representing him, so I think we let this guy, you know, off the hook here and bring down the debt and so forth. So something like this. And the parabdha karma the trajectory that was um, your destiny for many, who knows, many, many lives in ignorance, in ignorance of, of, of material existence whereby attachment hmm, is um, an acquisition, material acquisition is our pursuit and our condition, and attachment, of course, is the womb, as Gita, Gita says, from which suffering is born. So, a life of suffering. Hmm? Even the happiness is suffering from the larger perspective because it perpetuates material existence. You're happy that you got something and uh, you'll be unhappy when it's gone, which is inevitable. Or when it turns out to not be what you thought it would be and do what you, for you, what you thought it would do for you. So, so this, is, this is the material existence, right? Hmm? The karmic implications so that a little there's no there's, there's no kind of small influence of bhakti because even the smallest influence has a very big effect the whole of material existence that is the beginning of the end of it and bhakti will accrue more hmm? the only way that we can kind of stop bhakti our credit with bhakti from accruing is by offending bhakti but even if we offend, let's say we are a devotee, but we offend other devotees and we vilify Krishna in some madness, hmm? this is going against bhakti, so it's a going against the hand that feeds you, so there will be repercussions. But in Satsandarva, Jiva Goswami explains, the repercussions will, will wear off. Hmm? And again, we'll come in touch with the sadhu. Hmm? And again, it'll pick up. So the, the seed of bhakti, the beginning of bhakti, it's described in Gita. Neha bhikramanasho sti pratyabhaya nabhidyate 
A little benefit in bhakti is svalpamapyasidharmasya. Trayate mahatobhaya. The sevi from the mahabhayam. The greatest fear. The greatest fear is, is the entirety of material existence that we're just in the mouth of. Living in the, in the jaws of death. Waiting to be swallowed. So, so a little bhakti. And, 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 and he says there uh, in Gita that it, it will never, it will it'll never go away. Hmm? Whereas benefit or what may accrue from karma or even from jnana that are under the influence of raja and sattva they don't have this endurance. They're not of eternal. So again, bhakti is is the ingress of an entirely different influence. It's nirguna, trigunya. He says, "What is it? Near trigunya bishayabeda." He says to Arjuna, same chapter, second chapter, begins to talk about bhakti. It's beyond the gunas. This is what the influence of bhakti. So, a small touch of this is the beginning of the end of the influence of karma and it begins and it transpires in this way, proceeds in this way, that the parabda, a certain measure of parabda is arrested and retired and then the aparabda is dealt with. Now there's a remaining balance of parabda karma. Like I said, you've got who your parents are and who your body is and so forth. How's that going to, how's that going to be eradicated by bhakti? So, the answer, of course, is that in bhava bhakti, you get new parents, you get a new body. The sadhaka day at the time of initiation is also a new body, but it's a new body in progress. Hmm? So as we keep our senses engaged in, in, in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna, it becomes spiritualized. And as it becomes spiritualized, the sadhaka day, the external body of the devotee, an internal body, meditative body, starts to arise. And this is the body in which we, we can serve in Krishna Leela. And so you'll have new parents there. The beginning of the idea of that is you'll have Nanda and Yasoda as your parents, or Vrishabhanu and, and uh, Kirtida as your, as your parents. Details, more details to come, but these are the primal parental figures in the entirety of the Braj, Radharani's parents and Krishna's parents, the two principal families. Hmm? We find Gopakumar of Brihad Bhagavatamrita when he got his, in, his spiritual body, Sarupa was his name, and he came to the... Krishna brought him to the breakfast table, the meal cooked by Radha and so forth. Hmm? And then Krishna picked up one ladu and oh, spit it out. It's terrible. Who made this? Of course, Radharani cooked it and he threw it on the plate of Sarupa. <laughs> and then <gasps> Sarupa didn't know what was going on and Nanamars looked, what happened? Did some demon get in the kitchen and cook something and poison my my son? And, what? and then um, uh, Krishna told Sarupa, you eat that. So he tasted it and it was like nectar. Hmm? Then he could understand Krishna was joking. Hmm? You know? um, and in the context of joking, he was instructing, this is the Siksha in Goloka, he was instructing Sarupa, you belong with the family of Radharani on that side of the brudge. Hmm? And so tonight you will go home there. Hmm? You have your paradigmatic figures like Sridham is the is the is the brother of Radharani, Ananga Manjari is her uh, her uh, sister, Vishabhanu Kirti to the father and mother and so forth. But you can become the friend of Subal, for example, and in an overarching sense, then you, you they will be parental figures, prominent parental figures, the father of Radharani and. 
and uh, uh, and the mother in, in in your life. After all, in the brudge, you have many mothers and many fathers, and then your your particular father and mother will be related, hmm? extended community, right? Hmm? The niece, the distant niece, the second the cousin, and so forth. Uh, so, uh, so it, this you'll still be in this world, but your parabdha karma, in such a in such a measure, is completely eradicated. You understand? You have a new father and mother now. You have a new body. Of course, it's internal. It's meditative, but it's real. That's the real world. Hmm? So, in Bhava Bhakti, then, then all this influence of karma is completely eradicated. And with the eradication of the karma and its genesis, its uh, the, the avidya, then kleshagni is fully um, this aspect of of of, of uttam bhakti is fully realized. Again. Klesha being the removal of suffering means the removal of karma, means the removal of ignorance. Hmm? Um, and this takes place in a stage of sadhana bhakti. In hmm? this, it's prominent. It starts to, again, you start to get, you see some tangible results. Hmm? And the, whatever karma is still there, it doesn't it, it manifest or token of it, not the full measure of it, hmm? um, it, uh, it, it doesn't um, affect one's ability to practice. Hmm? But not until, again, entering Bhava Bhakti and graduating from Sadhana Bhakti is the, are the anarthas arising from karma hmm? completely eradicated, which is what your question is, right? Yeah. Hmm? Kleshagni. Removal of suffering. And suffering means attachment. Attachment is the cause of suffering. Hmm. Suffering comes from attachment. Attachment comes from ignorance. And fear arises from such as well. Does that help? What's the time? Seven twenty. Anything else? We hear that in spiritual circles you have to quote the scripture in order to make your point. And at the very height of the Ramananda Sambhav, he's quoting scripture all the way to the height, and then at the end he says, "Which is the crux of Gaudi Vaishnavism?" He says, "I can't quote scripture. You want to hear it anyways." So how do we understand that? Well, there's a couple ways to understand that. It means that, in one sense, that the uh, the Brajalila is beyond the scripture. Hmm. It's where the Upanishads are pointing to, hmm. beyond themselves. Um, Jiva Goswami makes the statement, Shrotam Api Upanishadam. Hmm. Nure Harikatamrita. So the sounds of the Upanishads, which is the Shruti, the highest form of revelation, sacred text, hmm, is far. Shrotamapi Upanishadam. Dure, Dure means far. Dure Harikatamrita is far. By uttering the sounds of the Upanishads, you will remain far from where you can arrive at by Harikata. And Kampashu Pulakadaya. Then in the next half of the verse, he explains the Sattvika, Asa Sattvika Vikar, eightfold uh, involuntary transformations of ecstasy. Um, one, of the, one of the elements of Bhakti Rasa, one of the ingredients of Bhakti Rasa. Hmm? He's basically saying to enter into this world of Rasa is, is, is beyond, beyond the scripture. So that's one way to think about it. Another way is that um, that he did not have any scripture to explain it, Ramananda Roy. He had a poem that he had written and he recited it. But the Goswamis did come along and uh, 
course, you might say, why, 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 why Krishna didn't cite because his book is, is follows the works of the Goswamis, um, but for some reason he didn't. But uh, but they they have, uh, as I've said often, they have located Mahaprabhu's ecstasy, the reality of Mahaprabhu, on the scriptural uh, map. Hmm? I guess maybe they we could say they've done so in a more uh, general way. What it is that Ramananda is experiencing, you know, really is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the reality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu being the combined form of Radha and Krishna. Hmm? And I like to say, as I have, that that it's rather than a scriptural reference to support that. Hmm? Like here's the one that says from the from the Upanishads that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna. There are scriptural statements that the Goswamis have cited here and there to support the divinity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as the Kali Yuga avatar, as, as being uh, Krishna himself, and, and so on and so forth. But the penetrating insight of the Goswamis into this kind of the psychology of Krishna that they... Um, uh, speak about in their uh, writings, for example, in Rasalila, hmm? the commentaries of the Goswamis there on what's happening when Krishna leaves the Rasa dance and why he deserted, deserted Radharani as well, and how he was watching them in separation and allowing their hearts to grow fonder, if you will by separation and employing this kind of device and then appearing and explaining himself and also then expressing his indebtedness to their love and saying, I have nothing that I can repay your love with. I've said in the Gita that as you approach me, I'll reciprocate accordingly, but the the measure in which you've, you've approached me, I can't reciprocate in kind. Therefore, your own approach is superior to anything I could reciprocate with, and therefore I worship it, and so on. I mean, th- their commentaries on this have brought out uh, this, really the psychology of Krishna. Hmm? And it's very compelling if you hear it. Um, that it really explains, oh yes, so there must be a Gaur Leela, and that Gaur must be Krishna, that, that particular Kali Yuga avatar, must be Krishna himself and golden for the reason that he's in the Bhava of Radha. And so this doesn't really, there's not really any scriptural reference for it, but the Goswamis in their commentaries have kind of explained the psychology of Krishna in such a way that if you hear it, you think that, that they really know what they're talking about. They they really understand the person of of Krishna. And, 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 and that kind of explanation isn't, a, aren't quotes from the scripture, hmm? but they're insightful, kind of scriptural genius and spiritual logic that that um, that, that again, hearing that makes you think these people know Krishna, hmm? like like no one could. Therefore, they're there when they say that Gore is Krishna. You have good reason to to believe them, hmm? but at that point in Ramananda Sambad, the conversation between Ramananda and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, hmm? um, he is talking about the the melting of Radha and Krishna together in love. Hmm? Radha and Krishna is one; he eternally becomes two, and then the two seek to become one in love. Hmm? And when they become fully merged in love by way of forgetting their own individual identities, which causes distance, if Arata says, one who says, I love you, knows nothing about love, because when you say, I love you, then there's you and I. There's a distance. And love is bridging the distance altogether. Because hmm? in love you want to be you want to be one with the person, right? Entirely. 
So Radha wants to be one with Krishna. Now, Krishna is one, he becomes two. Now they want to become one, but they don't want to become one in the way that they were, so to speak, one before, if you will, in eternity, Radha's manifest. Hmm? But in a dynamic kind of union. And in that union, the idea is, that there's a, the example is given by Ramananda that there's a, if you take a stone and a mortar and a so-called pestle and then you, you grind them, then the two start to become, they rub one off one another, they become one. Hmm? So, they're becoming one. Hmm? Um, <laughs> uh, and Radha thinks she's Krishna, and Krishna thinks he's Radha. So again, that's a problem. <laughs> problem. And so the solution is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The two in one. He is the fullest union that their love seeks to arrive at. We call it Madanakya Mahabhav. And um, it's the Goswami's language. I don't think, you know, the, he, Rupa Goswami employs the language of secular Ras Shastra from Bharat and, and so forth to, to use as a, as a descriptive language to explain his whole notion of Bhakti Rasa. All the terms come from there, but some terms are his own. I don't think you have Madanaki Mahabhav <laughs> coming from uh, uh, this uh, Bharat Muni and his Nati Shastra the, the scriptures about drama and poetics and and uh, so forth. So, yeah, it's off the scriptural map, I guess. Yeah. And um, that's good. Yeah. Therefore, it said the Upanishads are not being recited in Vrindavan. Yeah. This is the full idea of pranay, Radha Krishna pranay. Mm. So, all right, anything else? Okay, we'll stop there. Sri Sri Raja Gopal ki jai. Puri Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki jai. Kaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai. Kaur Prima.